Jimmy, Jimmy Crane, Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Jimmy Crane's an improv nerd. Jimmy Crane's a nerd. Oh, hey everybody, this is Jimmy Corain. You're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd. We are sponsored by the 2015 Boston Comedy Arts Festival. Now, Boston has its share of geeks and scientists and smarty pants, but amidst all those high IQs and Harvard economic seminars is a city bustling with comedy talent. The 2015 Boston Comedy Arts Festival unites internationally renowned improv, sketch, and stand-up comedy acts. It's produced by Improv Boston, and the festival offers performance and training opportunities, as well as a chance to nurture creative comedy endeavors and build bonds of friendship. This year's festival is September 9th through the 13th, and they are now open for submissions, and that ends on May 31st. For more information, go to bostoncomedyarts.com and submit your act to join the Beantown camaraderie. That's bostoncomedyarts.com. We are also sponsored by the District Improv Festival. Now, the District Improv Festival is Washington, D.C.'s first and only long-form improv festival. The third annual event will take place this year, September 9th through the 13th, and features top acts from across the country. This year's headliners, Are You Ready?, is The Boys, made up of Chicago's legends Susan Messing and Rachel Mason. Submissions for this year's festival are open through June 10th. We're seeking high-caliber acts with diversity and style format, geography, and cast. Apply online. All you need to do is go to districtimprov.org. That's districtimprov.org. Also, if you've always wanted to study with me, Jimmy Corain, in my award-winning improv classes, The Artist Low Comedy, and you're going to be in Chicago in July, I'm offering two Artist Low Comedy Intensives, where we teach you before you can be funny, you need to be real, and guess what? You're going to be even funnier. I'll be offering the Artist Low Comedy Intensives on July 11th and 12th, the weekend of, and then the weekend of July 25th and 26th. For more information, to sign up immediately, spaces are still available. All you need to do is go to my website, my slick new website, at jimmycorain.com. That's jimmycorain.com. We have got another great episode for you, but when do we not have a great episode? I just take a second and think about the last time we really had a shitty episode. I, I, I can't think of it. I, I really, I can't. Uh, you're going to love this one. Uh, our guests today are Rob Belushi and John Barinholtz, and they do a two-person improv show. Do they call it Duo Now, Duo Improv? I'm, I'm, I'm not as relevant as I used to be, and I'm having a hard time with that. But uh, anyways, they do a two-person improv show. Uh, called Sheldon. And we talked to them about how they came up with the name Sheldon and who they named it after. Also, how they use their offstage relationship and they incorporate it into the show. And they set me straight on fame. As you know, Rob's dad is Jim Belushi. John's older brother is Ike Barinholtz. This episode was recorded at the Playground Theater in Chicago, and it was part of the Chicago Improv Festival. And I want to thank Jonathan Pitts and Kevin Mullaney for putting this all together. I really don't feel qualified to give you relationship advice, but I'm going to do this anyways. So just remember where you're getting this from, the the, the source. It's not a very credible one at that. Uh, The other night... uh, and, and this is what happens in marriages, uh, or any committed relationship, I guess. Uh, the other night, uh, Lauren and I were going to bed, and it was like it was like quarter to quarter to eleven, 
and uh, we're ready to get to go to bed. And she goes, I'm really angry at you. I think I'm going to sleep in the other room. And then I say something really stupid like, what are you angry at? Which is like, you shouldn't say that. I mean, especially when you're like super tired and, you know, it's, it's very emotionally charged. And she goes, well, I'm angry because, you know, you don't, you don't do things. You know, you say you're going to do something and you don't do it. And I've got a lot of resentment. So I'm going to go sleep in the other room. And so she goes and she sleeps in the other room. And, and, and I say to her before she left, I said, look, I'm willing to have this conversation, but just not at a quarter to 11 when I'm like really, really tired. And, that, you know, the, this is the tip I'm going to give you. And you, you remember, you got to trust the source where it's coming from. It's not very credible. Don't get into it really late at night. You know, like if it's past 10 o'clock, just say, hey, I'm, let's talk about it tomorrow. Um, and so Lauren actually slept in the room for a while and then she came back later, but the next day I still felt angry and hurt. So, um, I don't know. I'm learning this marriage is it's, it's the best thing I've ever done. And it's also the hardest thing I've ever done. Here you go. You are going to love this episode, Rob Belushi and John Barinholtz. Uh, even though this was recorded in a live audience, uh, for the Chicago Improv Festival, and they take questions at the end, we don't do an improv because those guys were traveling from Los Angeles and they were super tired. So here it is, the Rob Belushi and John Barinholtz episode. Enjoy. Thank you so much Look for doing this. People. A lot of people the here. It's the wrong seat. Are, are, are you all right with the chairs? He's okay now. Rob is Normally sitting in. Chairs are too high for me, so this <laughs> is great. Why is that? Because if I sit on a dime, I can swing my legs. Okay. <laughs> we have like we open with like ten minutes of like chair humor. <laughs> it's Sheldon. Sheldon is known for its so chair humor. It's where uh, we're the top three chair groups are. Right. Are you self-conscious about being short? I mean, do you consider yourself short? I see it as a real strength. Okay. Yeah, it's an angle. Okay. Yeah. What, what is the angle? Well, I mean, it's just, you know, like, like John can talk about... Um, don't say that. Don't say that. Yeah. John can talk about, like, being, like, positive. And I'm kind of like, oh, I'm sure you can see that. We can joke about that and have a good time. I think Rob's very in touch with, I think, anything that you or someone may consider a flaw and then uses it for your advantage, I would say. Right. How tall are you? Because I'm like five. Six foot four. Okay, great. <laughs> for this podcast, it's six foot four. Because um, I'm like five, seven and a half. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> You're a giant. Yeah. Um, all right, so that's what it sounds like when bits don't hit. You come out with like a real shitty short guy thing, you lose the audience right away. This is so great to have this many people by. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Awesome. I feel like you know we live in LA and like no one's awake before one thirty. Yeah. It's nice that people are out doing things. Chicago's such a great city. For that. Yeah. So let's start with you, John. You yeah. started watching improv when you were in the seventh grade. Yes. Okay. And your older brother was in shows at I.O., right? Yes. Okay. And then you took your first class at I.O. Uh, the summer between freshman and sophomore year in college. Yeah, that's right. And Sharna was your first teacher. She was. Sharna was my level what, one. What was that like? It was It was very you know, cool. Like the, you know, the den mother uh, was like 
the first person that I got to like learn under. Uh, it was also very, uh, very intimidated walking in. I was like, I think, I don't know, 18 or 19, and uh, I, you know, was was bad because it was, you know, I'd never improvised before. And I remember my my parents had like a bottle of like my dad's really nice gin yeah. was in the freezer at their house. And before before every class, I would have. I was thinking of my parents was the summer between college. I would have a shot of gin and smoke a cigarette. And I didn't smoke. It was just the kind Where of did like, you get the cigarettes? Well, you know, I was I could buy them. I was okay, like, all right. I knew a guy. Okay. He worked at a supermarket and he sold them to me. Uh, and you have to pay money for that? I would give him money. And okay, okay, it great. It was all, uh, right. it taxed me. It was right. You gave change. But yeah, I would do that, I think, to like settle my nerves before... Uh, before each class, and it was like each class was terrifying, but also very fun. And, and you described yourself that you were horrible when you started. I think isn't is anyone good when they start improv? I mean, I don't think no. I don't. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still I'm, still, I'm, I'm, I'm like, still that good either. Yeah, yeah. I think like you know you it's slowly getting out of your head and learning like what is fun for you to play and yeah, uh, yeah. Like going. I don't know if it's the same for everyone. For me, it was like I had an idea of what I thought would be funny if I did it as opposed to uh, just trying to be present and react to what was around me. Were you like the funny guy in high school and stuff like that? I was the fat guy in high school. You were fat? Yeah, I was fat. Mm -hmm. I lost all my weight like junior year, between sophomore and junior year. Of? Of of high school. Okay. I was like the fat kid for the first half Uh and like the cross country kid for the second half. Okay. Um, and in the middle, you were the fat cross country. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very tough transition. Right. Up the rear. Yeah. Yeah. Put a sandwich at the end of the race. That's when I started getting faster. Get a personal right. best <laughs> Well, how was yeah, that like? Anyway. That had to be like totally weird because I was the fat kid, you know, through my, till my thirties. Yeah. So how was that like going from like? It was. It was strange. It was. A, it was. I think it was a very good thing that I went through in high school. My high school was a very friendly high school. It was like. I mean, it wasn't like a like an '80s movie high school. It wasn't like a John Hughes high school. You went like, to Latin, yeah, which was, like, was a private school in yeah, Chicago, a really yeah. great private school. Everyone's like Lincoln nice Park. and like there's no like bullies or you right. know. Yeah, uh, so it was like it was pretty easy. But like it was also like I'm glad I went through that experience in high school and uh, yeah, like my it was a good experience to go through. Like my friends were my friends, you know. Like even though I transitioned, like. Physically, like I, it made me realize, like, oh, these people are good people, and you know. But did people like, ever make like fun? Of, did they make fun of you? Like, because I was the guy who was like, I'm going to make fun of them before they make fun of me. No, I would make fun of myself before anyone got to make fun of me, so I kind okay. of owned it. Okay. Uh, I yeah. find that uh, I, I grew up. I went to the rival school, Parker Francis Parker. Parker, yeah. But but I left for high school, and I I find that like uh, Chicago is so cool because everyone. Like, whatever you are, this was my experience, and it was similar to John, like, they just, whatever, like, they're, they're not dorks or, you know, dorks or whatever, uh, what's the word? Labels. I'm, yeah, label or anything pejorative placed on anyone, everyone was allowed to be who they were, and then when I went to California, it was like, you know, there were some, plenty of cool people, but it was like very segregated and like image conscious and... It was not the same. They like labels in California. Yeah, they were like, you were cool for this reason, or you were not cool for this reason. And I really like growing up in Chicago. I'm glad I did. Now, I find this interesting. Even though you came from a very well-known group of actors, Rob, you didn't plan on being an actor. 
And it wasn't until you were in college at Wesleyan where you, you did it as a lark in a film class. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was actually, I, w- I went to, f- to study film. I had a teacher in high school who was amazing, and he was the film and uh, English teacher. And um, he inspired me. So I, wanted to, I originally wanted to do film. And uh, When I you say you wanted to do film, like direct, right? Yeah, I wanted to direct and produce. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my plan at, at 18 years old, you know, on, on house arrest. For my senior year, I was really... Is that true? Oh, yeah. What happened? I robbed a grocery store. You're kidding me. No. See, I would pay for the cigarettes and rob yeah. Can you tell us that story? Are you I comfortable? Mean, you can look up the Santa Monica police blotter. Okay. So you were living in Santa Monica at the time. I was living close. I was going to school in Santa Monica. Okay. In fact, my the school I went to was kind of ritzy, and they were like, oh, you know fair amount of like affluent people mm-hmm. there and I robbed this I, I went it was, we were we didn't have IDs and we were parents were out of town and we were trying to get booze so we, we did like a, a beer run yeah <laughs> you know, just, yeah yeah I'd done it literally 25 times had it to a science uh-huh. but I'd never done it really drunk before and, <laughs> we had a getaway car in the handicapped spot facing out everything was fine everything was, illegal yeah <laughs> I had a basket where I had like I was doing like Russians and I had Lunchables and condoms and like I kind of went whole hog and, and a case of beer and we were running out and I had no belt and my shorts fell around my knees and I fell and everything went off and then the security I mean we were hammered so the security guard clock was walking in he tackled my buddy my buddy hit the security guard so it became strong arm robbery oh. I got into the getaway car and got away my buddy got arrested and I'm like very Chicago, like loyal, like I gotta go get him out of jail. I'm a. Can you swear on this show? You can do. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm like I'm a minor, and um, but I'm gonna go get him out of jail anyway. And I sent my homegirl in to get him out, and I passed out in the car that was seen evading arrest from <laughs> the grocery store with a Ralph's shopping basket in the backseat. <laughs> and like the cop was like, hey. Thanks for coming by. <laughs> you're going to juvenile hall because your parents are out of town. And then you're like, I'm going to go into film. Yeah. <laughs> and what happened when you went to court? Uh, I got, I never, it was my first arrest, so I got six months probation and house arrest for my senior year. But I ran away, so that was extended until middle of June. <laughs> How do you run away with? How do you you just cut the bracelet off and take off? It wasn't. So I guess it was like not house arrest. Like a felon would get house arrest. It was like an enforced curfew at eight eight p.m. So I could go to school and I could go to my job after school as long as I was home by eight. All right. So we've gone off a little topic. Let's go back to to Wesleyan for just a second. So a friend of mine uh, at Wesleyan was in a playwriting workshop, and he wrote this weird one act and asked me to do it because the part was kind of like this cocky, obnoxious jerk off, and that's kind of what I was in college and am most of the day. So uh, (laughs) I did it. I had a lot of fun. So I did a like audition for a couple just student directed plays, and. I had a lot of fun doing those, and then I met uh, the associate professor at the time. His name is Yuri Kordonsky. He's like this hardcore Russian dude from the St. Petersburg Conservatory, and he just inspired me to what acting could mean and 
and it, it was a lot different learning from him than it had been my experience like growing up in Los Angeles. So I moved back to Chicago to train, uh, and I trained here in Second City, Annoyance, I.O., met John, did the school of Steppenwolf. And you, you both meet when you host at Second City, right? I, I had hosted the summer between my junior and senior year for just like as a summer job. And then when I came back, as we're graduating in like May 2005, I started hosting again. And that time back, Rob trained me. Which and what was that like when Rob? How how was he as a guy to train? train. He was great. It was great. It was like it was like fast friends very quickly. Yeah. And then, you know, this is I think like it was a little bit dirtier back then. Second City, like you could, I remember you could still smoke in the building. Mm-hmm. So like all all the job of hosting it, it sounds like a, a really important title in Second City. <laughs> what is it? So, so people know you 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 seat people when they come. Like an, not like you decide where they sit. Like the manager is like you put them here. Don't do anything on your own. <laughs> and like if like someone pukes in the bathroom, you put kitty litter on it and then you clean it up later. Oh uh, you do everything that's horrible, but you get to see the show every night. And the rule is, like for main stage, there's like three hosts working, and for ETC, there's two. And the rule is. There always has to be, or the, at the time, one host in the theater. So, you know, the first you know few weeks of the job or few months, you want to stay in the whole time and watch a show the whole time. And if you know people start talking during the show, you tell them to not. And that was during Red Scare at Second City, which yeah. was like a really great show. Great that show. Nate Napier directed. And yeah. We watched the whole thing go. On. Yeah, and then and then it becomes like shifts of like because there only has to be one host in the theater. Uh, Who's You're, stealing pizzas from Milwaukee? Yeah, and who's doing that, or who's like, you know, you watch the show for five minutes, and then you go have a, like a cigarette at the bar for five minutes, and then you have, you know, it was, it was a very, it was, I call it the best worst job you can have. I agree. Or maybe the worst. Best <laughs> what did you learn by watching shows? Because today I don't think improvisers watch shows as much as, as they used to. What did you guys learn, Rob, watching uh, Red Scare? Well. Uh, first and foremost, the Second City process, which you learn, you know, nominally in conservatory, but watching it go on with people who really know what they're doing, just tr- tr- being okay, failing, trying things out, seeing how this really works. Number one, number two, um, watching like the main stage performers and how they interact with the other people who work in the building, and just kind of how to carry yourself as a professional uh, was very, uh, you know, enlightening for me. And, you know, to take that further, like, just how people carry themselves on stage and kind of stage, charm, persona, whatever, you know. Who impressed you? They were all, it was an amazing cast. They all impressed me in a different way. Yeah. Ms. Brian Galvin, Antoine McKay. uh, Mary Beth. Mary Beth. Monroe. Monroe. Yeah. uh, I think Gene Philippi. Yep, Gene was there. And um, Brian Bolin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were all so funny in different ways and so nice. And so nice. There was no... You didn't... I mean, even though you were cleaning up puke and they were on stage doing a show, when the show was over, I mean, they treated you like a peer and like... It was, it was like... A, it was a community there. I mean, you would all then go out to Corcoran's afterwards and then to the Ale House and... It was... Was it Claudia was, Wallace? Yeah, Claudia, Claudia was there too. Claudia. Maybe Claudia for Gene. Maybe Gene. Or and so you guys are you guys are hosting it's Second City. What at this point? What what do you, what do you want for your careers? We started a sketch group, uh, Rob, myself, and then three other guys. Um, 
who we all took annoyance classes together. Yeah. Okay, so we started sketch fest, or we started sketch group and did sketch fest that first year. I think we were in, and uh, yeah, like, and we we all hosted together too at Second City. This mm-hmm. group of five of us, and we were so impressed by what we were watching and like loved it. And one other thing I want to add on to mm-hmm. what you learn from hosting is these people are doing the show every single night and then twice on Fridays and Saturdays and it never got old to them mm-hmm. and and each show is different they found ways to make even though it's scripted material to make each show special and like it was electric every night going in there mm-hmm. so it was, that was a very cool thing too to not see they never looked like they were showing up to work okay. it was like they're showing up to this awesome like opportunity and we kind of wanted that we wanted to like do really funny sketches and we put up a sketch show and it was Horrible, right? It was okay. It was our first schedule. Ryan Archibald directed it. Really funny guy, and he was great with us. You know, like we had a blast doing it. I think it was like the best part for everyone who came to see that sketch show is that they didn't have to watch the Bears lose in the playoffs. It was Bears Carolina. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, we did that, and I think we at that point we knew we knew we wanted to work together, and it was like really fun. Yeah. and we went through all the, we went through annoyance together. I did the conservatory a little bit after you at Second City, and then uh, that summer Rob did uh, like the summer of '06 at the school of Steppenwolf, and then the next, and then in that fall we put up This Is Our Youth, which is a play. Right. And that was like our first like big project together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then when do you get hired as an understudy for the touring company? Around that time. I think so. Around that. Yeah. You okay, man? You just went to somewhere. It's nice shoes. You don't use a you don't use a drop cloth, huh? Yeah, it's your shoes. Somewhere about five or six, I think. Yeah. Maybe a seven. I remember you had a goal sheet on your fridge. Do you remember what those goals were? Uh, Get coke tonight. <laughs> Where did you? Clean now. Clean now. Seven years I'm clean. Did you do? Did you do a lot of coke back then? He did all the coke. Were you the coke shortage of seven? Colombians were like, what? What? I'm still paying So you guys were friends. Now, did you did you partake with him? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah. We were young. I mean, not as much as like, like. It's well, like John had, John partied and I had a problem. <laughs> so, but. Yeah. You know, John's a great guy. Like he, we we worked together a long time. But you know, I think the thing that makes that makes what we do on stage work for me. I don't know for whoever's watching us is that we have such a close friendship, and I you know really value that. And, I know I've gone through some you know hard times, and John was always there, even though sometimes I was making shows just really bad, bad like <laughs> offensive, blackout. Because you were coked up, because you. Well, no, I mean just drinking. You know, everywhere it's like Chicago. You know, actors like scumbags. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just me. I wasn't drinking. Right? Yeah. John, I mean, there's a couple people that are probably walking through this theater right now who might have been there. <laughs> were you ever concerned for Rob? Yeah, uh, you know, not never as like uh, as like a uh, on like a physical level. Like, like I thought he was gonna like kill himself or you know like die doing. But maybe I should have been there. But like, <laughs> but, but on like on like a personal level, just like hey, like 
don't fuck up this life. You know what I mean? Like, you have one life. Don't, and, like, he was great. We were great buddies. There was, there was one night where I remember it came to a head. And we, we were at a bowling, a bowling alley. And Rob was out of his mind. And so was I. I mean, I was... I was you both coked I was, up? I don't think I was coked up. I think I was just I drunk. Don't know, I wasn't either. I don't think he was either. Like, You're both drunk. When I say he did all the coke, that was like an yeah. exaggeration. Right. <laughs> so, like some party night. There was a lot of hours of drinking first. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. <laughs> we, were, you know, we were drunk at this bowling alley, and we bet on the game about 50 bucks. Just Everything. It might as well be a million dollars. When we pay $7.25 an hour, posting at second city, 50 hours is like $10,000. It's a car. $10,000. Yeah. <laughs> black on the roulette wheel. I remember we were at the bowling alley with our girlfriends at the time, and uh, Rob's married to his now. And uh, he, he, I remember I, start, I started, I was winning, I, <laughs> I was up, and he, instead of like finishing the game, start, like was just out of his mind and started, if, like the lanes down that way, like straight ahead of him, he bowled sideways. So there's other people bowling, all of a sudden like, a bowling ball. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was a bad bowling guy, like they were like. It was like the scene in Transpotting when Begbie's trying to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember like we were like six like hard hard Latino guys like we're, we're like they're just having a good time by themselves and then a bowling ball hits one of their foot and, like they all stand up and like we got we we gotta go like this is bad like we're gonna get killed. So and the game was disqualified. <laughs> I was so mad about that, but also just like the night I was like man the night I was pissed about everything. The next day I remember we had we got into it at IO. Like, I think, like, we, like, yeah. So we went for a wa- long walk right around here. We went for a long walk around here, and I remember I, <laughs> I yelled at Rob, and... It was after the spot show, too. Oh, yeah. Spot that night. It, I think it was that night, or, like, it was yeah. around that time that, like, led up. Yeah. Or we had a messy show, too, or... Uh, yeah, I had a messy show, yeah. So, I remember I kind of, I chewed him out, and, uh, uh, was it, was it Rachel Mason who was there? We thought the theater was empty, and we were, like, right behind the curtain. I'm, like, screaming. Screaming at Rob. Yeah, and I remember, like, we, like, we finished, and we were going to go for a walk and talk. And, like, I opened the curtain. There's, like, 12 students with, like, Rachel Mason. Like, <laughs> and I have just been, like, you fucking asshole. And just, like, say, just, like screaming. And I'm, like, I'm sorry. There's a darkness inside me. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I, I wish I, like, my parents are no But it was because I loved him. Like, I mean, we love each other. Like, I, you know, I, I feel like he's a brother, and uh, it was, it felt like a brother fight, and we like got through those times, and we were both there for each other. And, yeah, yeah, different yeah. <laughs> how how are this? <laughs> Do you? Oh yeah, like I've had you know John and like I've had roommates that I live with and they're like, I'm like oh, I miss the good old days, man. And like everyone I'm talking like those are the worst periods of my life. Like, <laughs> living with you, hanging out with you. And I'm like, I had a blast. Like yeah, yeah, you had a, like, you scored shirts everywhere you went. It was a blast for everyone. <laughs> but it was interesting in the pre-interview. You, you while we were talking about your relationship with John, and you said he's very positive and you're the damaged one. Well, what, yeah. what do you feel that you're damaged about? Well, no, no, I mean, I, well, I, I mean everything. <laughs> but, you know, I think what I was talking about was mostly like there's a balance, like we, we, I think we have a really great balance. John and I would discuss this before, like, and we joke about it when we're right, like when we're writing something together, like, 
John's very optimistic and confident, and it's it's great. And I'm always like, never gonna work again, man. Never again. Like this, this uh, meter's gonna hit the house, and like, and the script isn't funny anyway, you know. And he's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. So I just think there's a balance to it. Mostly, it's a codependent thing where John drags me into the world of the living. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, sure, I'm damaged. Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't think that's as cool at like 34 as it is at like 23. Like, where I'm like, don't fall in love with me. I'm damaged. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more like, well, why don't you have your shit together? You're 34. I'm, like, I'm trying. I'm an improviser. And how did you? You said you're cleaning over seven years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. What was the, what was the bottom? What was like? Ugh, I gotta stop this. Um. The bottom, I mean, gosh, I don't know. I, I know, I, I got, you know, a couple drunk driving. Out in L.A.? Yeah, yeah. And then I was just like, well, can't do this. This is bad. So, that was it. And friends didn't say, hey, Rob. You know, I'm sh- I bet I had a hundred people say that, but unless you're ready to hear it, it doesn't get through. So, you know, no, I don't remember, like, an intervention, you know, but I got kicked out of eighth grade for smoking weed. I went to, I mean, this was always an issue in my life until I tried something new, but um, I was definitely at a time where I was like, I can't, I can't afford the consequences of this type of behavior, and I asked for help um, to get out of it, and I received it, so I'm very lucky that way, and I had a lot of support in the matter, and, um, you know, in Chicago, it's like, you're drunk driving down Lakeshore Drive with underage girls in the back seat on your way to go get cocaine, you get pulled over and field tested, and the cop's like, Go home, kid. Tell me a joke on the way. In L.A., they're like, your shoes don't match your belt. You're going to jail. So, <laughs> and like, in terms of, like, bottom to it, I don't think, just to clarify, like, I mean, so it's a lot of hyperbole. Like, we were never, like, forced to, like, sell our bodies underneath the, like, the high, underneath the 101. Or I slept like, a thousand days for free. <laughs> <laughs> That's when the night was I really mean, it, was like, right. it was like, there was, like... I don't think there was ever a point where I was like, like you were fearful of your life. You know what no, I mean? We were like, we're just idiots, you know, being idiots. And were you ever because your uncle died certainly of an overdose? John, John Bushy. John Bushy. Were you ever? Were you ever like, oh fuck, it's it's in the Belushi's. Where you know it's in our. No, I, I I didn't mess with like hard drugs for a long time until I was twenty. So like when a bunch of my friends in college were doing it. I, I, there's a great, I think it's hilarious. I'll try to make it short. Gotta keep this guy. It's, it's, it's a quarter. Right? Um, but I was like, the, my, my uncle died of cocaine. You guys shouldn't be doing it. This is in college and I was in fraternity. And like, it was pretty much, not really a fraternity, it was pretty much a bunch of drug dealers that lived in a house. <laughs> and I'd like to show. we called ourselves Saiku. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I'd patrol, patrol like from my moral high ground of just being like blackout drunk and not on cocaine. And I walked into my room once and, and like they were all like crushing up lines of Molly, which was a new thing in 1999. You know, you remember. And for the kids listening, Molly is was ecstasy, yeah, yeah. or X as we like to call it. And I was like, What are you guys doing? You're doing this in my room. This is bad for you. You're all gonna die. And it's like all in this big mirror. I'm like, this is horrible, terrible. And then they're like, oh, yeah, man, sorry. And I just grabbed the mirror and just flicked it all up. 
a little skunk-tongued it. This is getting sad. It's supposed to be funny. Hypocrisy and trepidation. Anyway. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, my uncle died. It was very. It was a very sad thing for my family and uh, for his millions of fans who still, you know, tell me about what a positive impact. You see how fast I'm pulling out of that shit. <laughs> I think it's funny, but my sense of perception is really off. Um, no, go back to that cool story, man. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> another story where I didn't have to pay for anything. So <laughs> you know what? I, what I what I like about you guys in in is that uh, you're willing, Rob, to talk about stuff. You know, and 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 so are you in in Sheldon, and. But you guys both, you know, Ike, your brother, is well-known. Your dad, Jim, well-known. Is there ever, like, a time like, oh, I, I, I can't go there? I, for my family, I'm just not going to go there on stage. Because you start your show, it's 10 minutes of honesty. Very similar, I would imagine, that what we're, this discussion we're having right now. I don't think anything is off-limits, really. I think you're talking about the opening of our show. Opening of your show, yeah. Our show opens with we get a suggestion and we talk about, like, personalize that suggestion, essentially. Yeah. When we're doing it well. Yeah. Um, Sometimes we get like North Korea and we're like, well, you know what I think about North Korea? And it's just like <laughs> fucking cricket farm. Right. <laughs> no, I think that's like a great thing uh, about our relationship. And Rob himself, too, is something I, I think, I think I've said this to you before, but like uh, very in touch with, uh, I said it up top, too, like in touch with who he is as a person. And, uh, it, it's so good to uh, establish a viewpoint through that, which is so, I mean, it's helpful in life, but it's super helpful in improv, too. And uh, nothing's really off limits. John does such a great job of protecting everything. I mean, Jesus, I can do it. Like, that's why I love this guy. I can do anything. And, like, I'm alone, it, it's, you know, like, Richard Speck's lost tapes. <laughs> but with John, it's really funny. <laughs> so, it's great to have a partner, and, like, that's why I... That's when I'm teaching. It's very similar to sobriety, in my in my opinion, because I really feel that improv is special because the, the tenet of we can do something more beautiful together than we can on our own is really like a, an amazing um, just principle. I think to to live on on stage, but also to to live your life by. You know, and uh, I have a book. <laughs> I think, I think like, the willingness to go to those places uh, drives also because after we do this opening in our show then we do scenes off of that opening it's all fair game uh, yeah. for content and I think it then helps of like if Rob had told that story where that really sad story he just told which he said it was an awesome story. <laughs> I, I would, my viewpoint of that would be that's not a cool story. That's like a sad story, yeah. and we would like kind of make fun of that. Within like that would be the scene, like you know, yeah. scene we driven from that place. There's plenty to make fun of John about. We're just oh yeah, we're really focused like tipping the scale on this side. <laughs> drugs take care of. What is what is one thing to make fun of John about? Uh, well, the, the one I like to tell about John is that um, this is also going to make me sound like an asshole. I'm going to say it anyway, which is like, it's very typical to me and John. Like, um, John wants, this is very sad, his 
girlfriend at the oh, time yeah. was walking his dog. <laughs> it's very sad. Walking John's <laughs> dog. My parents' dog. Vance's dog. Yeah, little corgi, beautiful puppy, terrible. I mean, oh. awful. I know, I know. The, the dog gets. Guys, it, get, it gets worse. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it gets girl, tragic. It's a girl he's, he's dating, and like she's the one, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and she's she's great. That's one thing you make fun of me about, just to interject. Yes, every we. John is now on the one. He's recently engaged. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, very wonderful woman. Uh, girl-ish woman. <laughs> very, very young. Very young. She just had a bar mitzvah. Yeah. No, she's, she's, she's a doctor. She's, she's, oh, a she's in her mid 20s. Yeah. Um, but before this, John was like a string of serial monogamy of one year to the day. <laughs> to the day. And it was always the same structure of relationship where it was like, oh, it's going well with this girl. Day one. Date three is this is a girl. She's the one. <laughs> all in. Marry this girl. All marry in. this girl. All in. Nine months. Oh man, I don't know. A year. She's gone <laughs> from the face of the planet. Like disappeared <laughs> in a barrel somewhere, probably. Uh, don't laugh at that. That was bad. <laughs> Go back to the sad story. So anyway, this this girl who was a lovely girl. Um, she was walking the dog for Johnny, and the dog got off the leash and and. Very tragically, was hit by a car. John, John's parents at the time lived right off Lakeshore Drive, right over here. And like in a big building somewhere. Yeah, yeah, okay. in a building. And it was very, very sad. The dog ran on the Lakeshore Drive. Right, the dog ran on the Lakeshore Drive. Oh, no. All right. John described this day as the worst day of his life. Which sad, yes. Worst day of your life. <laughs> okay. See, this is where I take issue. Hold on, hold on. This is where I take issue. So while being cute, it's not like there's ten years of companionship going on. Can I do it? We're saying in the right place. Like I've been in jail four times, three in the same fucking cell. And to me, that's like me. That's like you do that to you. And Uncle Dad of Drugger was most notorious drug death in the history of America. Parents divorced. Father will stay away. Mother, maybe because. And you well, just just because you have more sad doesn't mean it's not sad for me. Exactly. And this dog, uh, just to just to make Rob feel just to make Rob feel bad, my mom had just beat cancer, and uh, <laughs> before she got cancer, we had another corgi who passed away, and she was going to get one, but then she got diagnosed with cancer, and she came out of it five years later. And her and my dad were like, let's have a new beginning and get a new puppy. Yeah. <laughs> Eight weeks after they had that dog, they were like, my mom was out of town, my dad and I were working, so they were like, oh, well, we'll board the dog. And I was like, why don't you have Sarah walk it? She loves dogs. And I talked them into it. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's great. We love Sarah. And... Then that happened. Oh, so it was like... And then his mother killed everyone that John used to be like John <laughs> How did Sarah, like, how, how oh, did she poor feel? girl. Oh, gosh. It really, really, I mean, she should have done it. <laughs> that, that was that not... Was Were you ready to break up with her before, and then you used this to break up with her? That tragedy. No, I... It was no, no joke. Like this happened in October, and I had done the school at Steppenwolf that summer, and like thought I like rediscovered myself as a person. And shit, and I was like, I don't think I should be in this relationship. So it was already like we still did date like for 
four months. I don't know. No, we broke up and I decided that I was going to move to L.A. And I was just like, it was a very amicable split. Could you forgive her about the dog? Because oh, I would hold on to that. No, no. Like, oh, you right felt a, bad? Right away. I felt a whole, I mean. Yeah, he called it the dog killer. <laughs> no, I didn't. Loved it. Loved it. You are, hey, you're in L.A., you're still talking to dog killer? <laughs> A lovely girl. I felt so bad for her. My parents felt horrible. I mean, literally, I, I showed up to the scene afterwards. Like, I literally, they shut down Lakeshore Drive. Yeah, he left from his office. I mean, it was like a movie. Oh, oh, oh. I, uh, I uh, destroyed my ACL running from... I was a marathon runner. Destroyed my ACL running from my office to the garage at Millennium Park so I could drive to Irving and Lakeshore. So I was a marathon runner at this time. A what? Nothing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and uh, that, so that was like another added on of like, oh, yeah. blew out my knee for three years. Uh, so, so yeah, well, I think worst day could qualify for that. Yeah, yeah. pretty bad. Now you guys talk. <laughs> you guys talk about there's healthy competition bet- amongst you when you perform. Is this is this an example of it? Yeah, I think like yeah, it's not even yeah, Fucking with each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. the competition though, like you try, like oh god, you, you know. Yeah, yeah. You try to get the, the you know, like I teach classes uh, at Second City, and I'm constantly telling my students, like, stop trying to pull the rug out from everyone to like hit your joke. You know, just do the scene, like open up to the scene, and, and, and I think that's great when you're first starting and playing with people that you don't know very well. But I think once you start playing with someone that you really know really well, I think a lot of the fun is just like. Over. Yeah, and it's never to fuck up the scene. No, so. no, no. I think it's because we know each other. Yeah, like it's a it's a nice surprise. Have, has like, anyone ever gone too far and then after shows like, hey, why'd you bring that up or anything no. like that? Or, or had any hurt what feelings? You were gonna say something, Rob? Well, after the Detroit Improv Festival. Tell us. What was that? <laughs> that was in Detroit. That was uh, Dallas. No, that was Detroit. <laughs> because I just read all those John Douglas books. Oh, it was Detroit. Yeah. It was the first. Time what happened? He just did like like. 20 serial killer bits in a row in the show. <laughs> it was, it was fun. It was just, <laughs> no one knew who the fuck. Like, it's not like no one knew who he was. It wasn't. A, uh, it also wasn't a very. Uh, you know, there's an audience where you play for when you're playing for a lot of improvisers sometimes, and I think there's. Uh, they give you a little latitude. Yeah, They're yeah. looking for good moves. And I think these people, like the venue for this too, was also was very much like comedy club, and I think it was normally a stand-up spot. And it like, went fine. The show went fine. The though. show was totally fine. I just remember coming off stage and be like. That was a little weird one. Hey, let's not do serial killer bits for a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot more fans. Like, no more serial killer bits. Oh, come on. So I was like, I had read five books by this one FBI profiler in a row, like, late into the night for, like, months. Just like, dark. Dark sex. Violent, like... We would be in a scene in the show, and bullshit. it would go... Out of nowhere, like, oh, this will also be a serial killer scene, just so you know, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, Wedding, lighting fires. Besides your history, and you guys like each other, obviously, and you give each other shit, what about, like, for, for a duo? Because, you know, there's so many more duos now in improv than when I started out. Do you have to have the same sensibility? Do you have to have the same likes and dislikes for it to work? I think certain things have to be similar. Like, since it... Sensibility, I think, is y- yeah, uh, but I think point of view is a big thing. Like, I think I think there's a difference. You know, I think the more if you're the same energy, it's 
I think you want leave the pen out. Please don't pick up the pen. Good show now. I think a differing energy is good, and if you have the ability yes. to say yes to your partner, then everything's fine. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like I think just like being on the same page of who the other person is. Like, that's why like when there's a, a history between people, it's you already start like a friendship or even just knowing each other for however long. You already start off in that level of like kind of understanding where the other person's going. And there's certain things I think we both, when we see a show, we're like, oh, we don't like that. What don't you like? You know, I think uh, like I hate. I don't know if anyone likes organic openings and like. Uh, you know, I've just never been in one where I've been like, that was awesome. Uh, a, a lot of, uh, like, overly scene painting, I think, takes both of us off. I'm with it. Just like... And what do you guys like? Uh, just like, pretty much like, uh, you know, mama jokes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Anything sexist, racist, or homophobic. <laughs> We're big, like, early 90s stand-up fans. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> I think what we like are, like, you know, a sense of fun, but also a commitment to emotion or character, you know? Yeah. Like, and you, what's interesting is you both went to the school of Steppenwolf. So you both, had, like, had this great foundation of acting. How does that show up in your improv? Well, you know, number one, our show is called Sheldon. Um, we, we were called other things before, and then around 2000, uh, a couple, four years ago, we started calling ourselves Sheldon because we both had a teacher at the school at Steppenwolf named Sheldon Tinkin who recently passed away. Um, one of the original founders of Second City. And he's a huge theater uh, mind in Chicago. He's the dean of, of theater at Columbia. He's an ensemble member of the gift at, at Steppenwolf. Uh, Creator, one of the creators of Second City, just gave his life to teaching theater and improvisation, and was an amazing mentor for just the ten weeks that we had him. He really, I think, spoke to us and changed our lives. So, yeah. Um, what was it about Sheldon? Shout out to Sheldon. Rest in peace. What yeah. was it about Sheldon? He, you know, he was. A, I mean, in terms of improv philosophy, he was. He worked with stuff that I think is still like the hardest to work with of. Uh, in every moment, having an outer want and an inner want. Yeah. And he didn't give a shit about a laugh. Did, yeah. did not Can you, care. For, for people that don't get it, because I don't get outer want or inner want, what did he mean by that? I don't know. I have to go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> he meant, like, uh, in a scene, uh, you may be asking for uh, a sandwich from someone uh, because you're hungry, but maybe your inner want is your, you know, if there's. This is a horrible example. There's two sandwich vendors on stage. You're going to uh, approach the left one because your inner want is you're in love with that person, and that's who you want to provide for you. Like so, it's it's always playing two levels of uh, something like, because yeah, because yeah, as people, you know, we there's what we show and then what we're actually feeling inside. And uh, yeah, he was like a he it's, just it's, made it's everything very, yeah. very theatrical. Yeah, you know, he really like wanted people to be alive on stage and not just be doing their like I, I was like the second city guy in the program there the improv guy in the program that year and I like started all my stupid shitty bit stuff that was like all about not you know be like this what you're doing is it's funny but it's just, it has nothing to do with anything that anyone else is doing yeah That's I was the year after I was the same thing yeah. I came and be like oh I'm going to kill the improv section. Yeah, exactly. I was like, 
like humiliated. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was very humbling and like very cool. And you know, he always said, Sean always said, stop trying to be funny because you're not. Yeah. And you know, and then when you can work from that place of like being like real and emotionally connecting, I think it's. And he really gave of himself too. He really spent time with his, in my experience and what I saw, his his students. He's he had dedicated. a love for his students and a love for what he was talking about in the theater and art and. He, He's just a fucking good, great dude, and Chicago will we'll miss him forever. And I think the difference, too, of just, like, his style is a very Chicago style, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, Old school. Chicago's such a great city for artists, and, uh, especially for, for people who improvise. Whereas I, I feel like a lot of the uh, improvisation out in L.A. is uh, it, it, you very often see a lot of writers standing around who can come up with the quickest joke and play the game as opposed to playing like the reality of the scene that you're in and that's something that's great about Chicago and that we keep in LA like in our shows like it's I think like that we, we stand out because I mean it's not stand out but we separate ourselves from you know you know three writers with their hands in their pockets like doing improv but really they're just trying to write uh, write a sketch yeah. And, yeah. and you guys are now living in LA and you guys are very successful working actors how has your improv experience... Playing fast and loose with that word very. <laughs> well, you don't... Do you not, do you not feel successful? Do you not feel no, successful? No, no, I think it's that thing where you're not, like, you know... There's always... You always want... You always do you... Like, like, for me, I'm a huge comparison. So if I came from... If I had a brother and a father who were very successful in the business, how do you let go? Because I'm, a, I kill myself with comparing myself. How do you let go of that? Like, okay, Ike's doing this. Your dad, Jim Belushi's doing this. How do you let go of that comparison? I think you. It's just not like you. You have to do what makes you feel good. And if this is the thing that's making you feel good, you keep doing it. And and comparison's so strange within like. If it's a different business, it doesn't feel like that, you know. Like if you if you follow in the footsteps of your dad, who's a lawyer, or your sibling, who's a doctor, it doesn't. Like, how do you compare with that? Right? I think success is only like self-defined, and well, how do you do that? I think you just have to like, like, check your own life and like, where is your progress going? And four years ago, I was waiting tables to support myself, and now I'm acting and writing to do that. And that's I feel that's a great thing. I feel like successful because of that. I did say that for applause. So no, <laughs> uh, no, but I think like, I think it's self-defined, and you know, like it's always yeah. Of course, it's self-defined. It always comes from how you feel, and if it's something you enjoy doing. How do you do it, Rob? Uh, I don't, and I barely leave my house. <laughs> I think um, I think there's always. Um, for me, a piece of like, uh, I'd like to, cont- I have goals, you know, and other people are reaching them around me, and um, sometimes that makes me feel really great that it's like happening close to me, and sometimes it makes me feel like I've got a lot further to go. Um, so, you know, emotions aren't facts, you know what I mean? They, they change, but I think, you know, with the family stuff, it's like, well, when I first came to Chicago, I had a lot, I put a lot of pressure on myself to like be something that people expected me to, me to be, and um, you kind of just 
for me, I just kind of kept working on myself and growing up and being like, oh, I'm, I'm not those guys. Uh, I don't want to be those guys at all. And uh, what I'm proud of the success that they've had, but, you know, it's not the 70s, you know, the, mm -hmm. it's a different time for young actors. And, dude, I just do the best I can, man. Mm -hmm. You know, like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Articulate. <laughs> That's another place where, like, working with a partner really helps me. Like, John is really grounded and a deeply, deeply good person with a great heart. And I think that comes from his father and his mother and his brother. Like, the, it's an amazing family. And uh, anyone who's friends with, with the Baronholtz is not, like, it's just a big family, you know. Thanksgiving is always, like, their family and then, like, ten of Ike and John's friends, you know. And, and I think... They were just taught really well, so I know that if I go into my kind of weird hole, you know, I just show up, I continue to show up, and some, usually that's at John's house to write or a show or something, and, 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 and like what John was saying, progress, not perfection, like, because even, you know... There's never a point you'll get Tom to. Tom Hanks is like, well, yeah. I'm not fucking, you There's know, never a point you'll get to where it'll be a finish line. Yeah. It's like, you have to keep, as long as you're constantly working on things that are interesting to you, and working towards that goal uh, and you know there's so like there's never that one thing like it's always like whether it's a show that lasts for a year or a show that lasts for 10 years it's going to be done soon you know and like then it's like where do you go from there and if like you measured your success of like that was the finish line then you're fucked but I'll tell you how fucked up I am. I am so obsessed with fame and I think and, and, and my wife Lauren you'll back me up on this I I think that fame will solve all problems. And you guys have both been around fame. Can you give me some perspective in this? I I'm serious about this. I think it can ruin... I think what fame does is it gets, gets you paid a lot more. And that is something that I might be interested in. <laughs> that, that part of fame. <laughs> but, like, I, know, like, I don't like... want to be famous at all. Yeah. In fact, I'm really terrible in most situations that are like that. You know, I, I don't want people around. I'm not on Facebook. And like, I just, god damn it, is it hot in here? <laughs> Stop staring at the guy's shoes. It's just it's still a shoe. Um, I don't know, I never wanted to be famous. Like, I just saw it, how it went down. And, and it, like, famous people are like anyone else. Some of them are fine, and a lot of them are fucking celebrities, man, you know, so, like, I never, like, my heroes are, I don't even know. I mean, a, I mean, a goal of fame is so much different than a goal of, like, being successful yeah. and, like, valuing yourself. Like, yeah, I think it's like, just like, there's so many people without any talent that are famous right yeah. now, and, like, I'd rather work. I'd be happy to be one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be happy. You're on your way, man. Thank you. That's all I need. <laughs> A little encouragement. My wife won't give it to me. Thank you, Rob. I mean, there's this. I mean, there's a, like, uh, there's this guy who's like, uh, he's like the most uh, Vine follower guy, or you know, Vine right. six second thing. And I was shooting on a show with him, and he was just like a co-star on the show, which means he had like a couple lines, and uh, super nice dude. And another guy in the show knew who he was and was you know and now he's trying to like build a career because of this Vine that, that he's super famous well, can you tell of. us Vine is 
What? A Vine. Tell me. A Vine is like a six-second video. Okay. And he's okay. And he's like he has the most followers. So it's like essentially the most Twitter followers instead of Twitter. It's this thing Vine. Vine, Lauren. Write that down. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But like he, I mean, he's not like. I don't think he's like psyched that he's like the Vine guy. I think he's psyched because it's brought him money. Like he was on set and I didn't even know that he was the Vine guy or whatever. And another actor was like, like who was the star of the show was like. Dude, you make more money than all of us, don't you? And he's like, ah. I was like, what does that mean? He's like, the dude makes like 125 grand for vining like a photo of Converse or like a little movie of like like for one vine he makes anywhere between 50 and like 200 grand for a six second video now because he's so followed. But he's like, so yeah, he has fame and he has you know this is one example, but like, and he has like monetary success, but he's now trying to like build a career and it's tough for him now because there's like. You know, he's trying, he never acted before, and like you would think that because you found success through like a social media thing, you get something you can jump into easily. But he's finding it difficult, and I talked to him about it. And he's a real cool guy, and he's like, yeah, he has his thing now, but now he's, he wants to be like a respected actor. Right. I would have a conflict. One is, I would be, I, if that was me, I would go out and be like, hey, everybody, I'm the Vine guy. I want a good table. <laughs> Or the second thing would be like, I don't want to be the Vine guy. I don't want to be na- I, I I want my fame how I want my fame, and I don't want to be. Right? Yeah. Good. So, is it? Uh, do you feel? Do you feel like coming from famous families? It's been. It hurts you or helps you? I don't. I think. I mean, you can see because we're such marquee names right now. This obviously helped us greatly. <laughs> we're getting movies screened right. all over. Yeah. All over. You know HBO? Indiana. I have a, de- I have a, de- <laughs> we're a deal with HBO where we, we pay them $17 a month. And they- <laughs> <laughs> you can watch any of their shows. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. All their fucking shows. Yeah. Uh, I got a deal with Comcast. Oh, dude. That's $134 a month. That's awesome. And I just have internet and a landline. <laughs> I gotta get. Give me your agent after this show. <laughs> um, I don't even know what the question was. I, I, think, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. I know that they don't. Oh, yeah. No one gives you a job if you're not good. And uh, at the same time, I'm sure people have taken a look at. Not to speak for you, John, but people have taken a look at me maybe earlier than than I deserve because I had you know a, a name. You know, an unearned name. But you walk in with an unearned name and, and then you don't earn the part. All you earn is the motherfucking curb, you know? It's, and it's apples and oranges, too. Like, it's like a comedy institution, you know, that name. And, like, and my brother's doing so well. And, uh, but that's, like, very much more recent, I think. So I really haven't even, like, I'm maybe now just getting to the point if I walk into a room and someone's like, oh yeah, I worked with your brother. But like, it's not like walking in. It's, it's, it's so much different out in Los Angeles. Like in Chicago, if I were to walk into IO, I think it was like, like, that's Ike's brother and it's a smaller community and it's like everyone's in touch with each other. LA, everyone's in their own fucking world. Everyone's but I would weird. imagine it's ha- happened where you go in there and they're like, okay, your dad did something, your uncle does something, Ike does something, I want a version of that. And you, and they're like, oh, that may be the case, you know, and... and it may open more doors, you know, but once you get through that door, I think you're under more of a microscope. Yeah. And, like, and, that, and that's, I think that's for you more than... Like, I really... I know if they're expecting Jim or John Belushi, I'm not getting a fucking job. You know, they, that's for sure. So I think it took a long time of people getting to know who I am and, you know, for me to... 
not starve. Although I am a fantastic <laughs> server. <laughs> and I have people from my serving history who surprised me in the front row. They can attest to how what, fucking unbelievable. What restaurant are they from that you worked with them? Fast and loose with the service. Was he fast and loose with the service? No, I'm fantastic. He was good. You were good. What made him such a good, Rob, such a good server? He said fast. I was so no. <laughs> We worked at the Berghoff together downtown. Which is no longer, right? The Berghoff? It still is. It still is. Some sort of iteration. Yeah. Um, I, I'm great with the people. And You're great with the people. Terrible with everything else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Carrie, for an ordering food, totaling the check. Were you were you doing blow then? No, no, no. Okay, great. Yeah. All right. Um, I really think we like, really hit the blow thing too hard. Let's be very clear. If you're doing blow in Chicago, you're actually doing crystal meth. So All right. So um, we are going to take some questions. Uh, if you guys, I know uh, you guys want to go home and take a nap before you have a show tonight. I really appreciate this. Uh, if we could, uh, Sam, turn the house lights on. And uh, if you have a question for Rob or John, just put your hand up. Uh, that would be great. Are the house lights up, or um, is my eyesight? Okay, I think it's 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 in a weird place somewhere. Okay, there we go. Great. So, uh, who's got a question for Rob or John? Great. There you go. Yeah, r- right here. He has a question. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on improv hindsight? I have a tendency sometimes after a show to sort of like stew in my mind and replay and. And think about like the woulda, coulda, shoulda. So like after the show, like the notes you're giving yourself or the messages that go on yeah. in your head. Even after I get notes from my directors. Still. You're still in your head yeah. processing it. After every one of our shows, we immediately come off, talk through what every scene was. Like we were in the bakery and then we were just so we can be in our heads. And, you know, even when we have a stinker like of a show, it's still fun because uh, we're up there together. And we don't really pick it apart. I think if there's something that we can pinpoint very specifically, I know Rob said North Korea earlier. Like I remember there's, it was like one in particular bad show where we got North Korea as a suggestion. And that opening that we do is all about taking the suggestion and personalizing it. Because we're not John Stewart and we're not Bill Maher because we're not as smart as those, as those guys. And... Uh, <laughs> And as well read as them, because that's that's their job, and they're they're pros. And to hear us talk about the political talking points in North Korea is the worst fucking thing as an audience member. <laughs> and then they have to do a show, watch a show after these two guys just did that. It was a bad show. I'm like, that, and I give that as an example because that was time where like we came off. We weren't authentic. Show wasn't bad. Why? Or show was a bad show. Why was it bad? Because we didn't personalize it and make it ourselves. And if we would have said like you know, North Korea, okay. Uh, and Rob was like, I grew up uh, kind of like like I was in North Korea because I was in house arrest. You know, like it's not like we personalize it and then do that as opposed to like, do you guys hear what's going on in North Korea? Like, and after you do your note session, do you let the show go or do you beat yourself up? Go. Go. Yeah, but but I know what you're talking about. And I think that's a really normal thing for not just improvisers, but any, any artist, you know? Um, I think there's a big problem. Not a big problem. I think a lot of people are overnoted by coaches. Like, that's just a thing. It's something that I've never... It's so easy. I mean, if you're a first-day improviser, you can watch a scene, and when that scene's over, be like, oh, they could have done this. Because it's, you know, it's like There's real fortune. It's easy to watch on the outside. There's always notes. I mean, improv is an imperfect form. I mean, it's all about... So there's, there's always notes. 
But I would say, go ahead. I, 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 I was go just going to say, if you find patterns of things like, oh, maybe I'll, you know, I realize that I am doing this. Like, what I'm hearing from these notes is that I'm doing. Like, any content notes, I think you can throw out because they're garbage. Like, it doesn't matter. Scene can go any way. And yeah, of course, it could have gone a different way, but it didn't. You went that way. And if you like are like, why am I going that way? Like, am I always, you know, am I always uh, trying to fire someone in the scene? Like, what does that mean about me? But like, I think like if you can pinpoint uh, something like behaviorally, it's 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 worth behavior. It. Like, I'm always angry. In I'm the always scene, angry. I'm or always, I'm always I'm, I'm not agreeing enough. Yeah, I'm not agreeing enough. Or you know, I, I you know. I'm standing in the same, I'm not being physical at all. Like, maybe you're not a physical improviser, which is fine, but like, maybe your next show, but I'm gonna try to do this. And those are great concepts, those are very John, but I'm sure, you know, some of the most, those are the things that need to be told to you. Like, most of the time, you're just like, I'm terrible. What am I doing out there? I don't know why I went so wrong. And and what I would say is like, uh, I, I, I've been I, I've been there, I still go there sometimes, and what, what really helps me in those situations is to say like, progress not perfection like sometimes when you're really struggling like that those are the learning moments you know like when you come into your improv class you absolutely kill it like you didn't learn shit that day but it's the days where you can't get it and you take it home with you and you think about it and then you know three shows later you're doing better like that's part of it so like the whole don't be afraid to fail like failure is not a permanent condition I heard that on a TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> it really struck me right here. He's pointing to his heart. If you're listening to the pot, <laughs> uh, but but that's very true. Like failure is not a permanent condition. So um, the, I think the more you can say it's a pro- pro- process of trying things out. You know, when I was at I.O., they were like, "You're going to suck until you've done 500 shows," and I don't think I've done 500 shows yet. So. Don't come tonight. <laughs> Great. Another question for Rob and John. Yeah, right here. Uh, what do you guys do to keep growing in improv in your show so that you feel like you're, you know, learning more and, you know, so it's not just the same thing? That's a great question. It's a stumper. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> so we've hit our ceiling. <laughs> is this, no, is this uh, your farewell tour? This is it, guys. See See that? Called Sheldon, it's called Plateau. Right. <laughs> I think I'm, I, yeah, I, he, she, Sheldon would be really proud of that. I think no matter what, funny anyway. if yeah. you are, you know, I think so, certain things like short form has a ceiling. Like if you're doing short form for like five years, you're not like you're not going to get like better. You're like a pro. If you're doing it like for five years straight, like you're going to be awesome at it. It's going to be great. And but I think with long form, anytime you go out, it, you never, you know. Whether you want to or not, you're growing, and you're a different person. You know? Yeah, we're very we're in relationship, so we're I think we use a lot of what's going on in our lives and our shows, and you know, so by that very nature, it's going to be changing and getting better. But you know, we like we hang out, so like if you're in, a, in an improv ensemble and you guys are socializing, and doing things together, that's that's going to add and change, I think, right. to what you're doing. I mean, we also make investments in education and take classes and workshops and those kinds of things that I think any actor should do to invest in their business, which is yourself and your performance, and it's all tax deductible. (laughs) Great, let's take another question for uh, John and Rob. Yes, right over here. Yeah, I was going to add on what they both were talking about. Like, I know you guys are currently working together, and you seem like you're on the same page creatively with a lot of what you do. 
in, in situations where there's a major sensibility difference, because a lot of this is subjective, how do you compromise or work with that person to, to make it work for the whole of the show or whatever project it is? I know personally we have a pretty clear um, pattern, which is we both have agendas, and he'll push, I'll push back. If he pushes again, I'll like do a little push and I'll let it go. <laughs> but but then I know that John files that in a bank, and then something later comes. I push, he pushes, I push back, and he says okay. So it's it's like the ability to kind of just like in a scene, let go of your idea, and just be like it's going to be okay, you know, not control. It's compromise and negotiation and like mutual respect too. I think yeah. it's like a big part of it. Yeah. So you don't feel like one person gets their way all the time. No, it can't work like that. And, like, I think that's in every facet of our relationship, too. Like, it just it can't work like that. Like, I think two years we have a bit of a, I think two or three years, we have a bit of a pointed conversation, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the last one was the being Victor thing, I think, and where I was a little baby. What was that one? <laughs> I think I just yelled at you, like, I'm not being heard. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't hear that. <laughs> Great, let's take a, another question. Yes, right here. Um, what do you? What is? Uh, what's the LA improv community like? Is there even one there? Oh yeah, yeah. It's very. It's, profound. it's just as big as it is here. It's just that I think Chicago really. It's on a pedestal here, and it's. Uh, but LA has it's, it's such a massive city, and there's this weird entertainment industry above it, mm-hmm. and there's every form of art that can lead to like monetary success or fame. Results. Results. Result yeah. Result and that's like a, and so like. The community is huge, but uh, not in the way that it is. It's a very special thing in Chicago. It's, uh, it's, and there's a lot of overlap here. Like, yeah, shows everywhere. Everyone, like, when you're waiting for an audition at a casting office, it's like, hey man, like, everyone's like, oh dude, yeah, I hope you get this. Oh, you fucking whatever. Yeah, it's not really like that in Chicago. I mean, in LA, it's there is a big community. It's a little more segregated to teams. It's a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. UCB, Groundlings, Second City. I, uh, there's a lot of overlap still, for sure, but like people are kind of more loyal to their theater, I think. Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, it's really a thing of like UCB is very much the place to be out there, like because they figured it out. You know, like they figured out kind of like how to translate to on camera. Yes, and that's like a thing of like, and that's like the currency. There, and there's great things about that because there's great things about taking control of what you're doing and turning it into career. Uh, and there's also pitfalls of that where it's like. I never felt like when I was going through classes here of like, uh, oh, I'm going to take improv so I'm going to be a fucking millionaire. Like, you know, just like, it's really fun. It's interesting to me. Like, that's why I did it. I think in LA it's, and this is, this is a blanket of statement, so it's like, take it for what it is. But I think the majority of the thought is results-based. And, like, and it's a bigger market. Yeah. I mean, Chicago is a great market, and, and I think really the only place a young actor should start, in my opinion, because it's... I feel so great for me as a person and as a professional. But once you go to a bigger market like Los Angeles or New York, like no one gives a shit about you. Like they want, they're there to work, and like there's more money to be made, and results are important. So like that that not that that's not in Chicago. Like people are professional and going after goals, but it's a little. I feel like it's a little more embracing to one another. Absolutely. Great. We got one more question, and then we got to wrap this up. 
Yes, right here. How, with everything you're it doing. It better be a good, this is the last question, man. Oh, I feel like no pressure. This is great. With everything, with being a working actor, how do you bridge honing the craft and artistry of improv with the business of being working actors? Because on both sides, you've been crafted and honed the skills so much, but that leap of you're also both businesses. What suggestions do you have or experiences do you have that improvisers should do to realize how do you make that leap and combine the two? I think you pulled it off. I think you pulled it off. A great, a great question. That, that's a, that's a <laughs> fantastic. It a good Can I jump on that? Right, that's where I talk. No, go ahead. <laughs> I, think there's something, I think there's something very different be- between performance improv and like improv that gets you jobs or on set. You know, I think performance improv is very much about energy and laughter and creating something in that moment that is, you know, different and surprising. And on camera, I think it, it, it's really about, like, improvising and doing all those things, but really being uh, loyal to the world that is being created. So, you know, I know where I get in trouble is, like, trying to be funny in a fucking bank commercial. You know what I mean? It's like... You can improvise and bring stuff to it, but it's not, that's not the gig, you know what I mean? Um, And when you get a TV part, it's like, you know, you're a Chicago Fire, uh, 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 Chicago PD, you got to stick to the script, right? Yeah, I mean, like dramas and stuff, you know, maybe you'll get a line or two here or there, um, but but with some, no, they don't like the six acts of like, you know, puzzle pieces, but in comedy, you know, I think improvising within a character is very uh, important, you know, to instead of improvising for an audience, you know, to, and it, it, it's just, it's, there, I, I feel like in Chicago there's like this dichotomy between actors and improvisers, and I know your buddy, um, oh, I'm tired, so I'm forgetting, uh, Rosowski. Dave Rosowski. Yeah. He uh, he came into uh, his big thing is we are not improvisers we are a- uh, you know actors who improvise but I love that and like if you're in Chicago there's so much opportunity for young actors to do plays and, and theater and, and improv and all that stuff and like if, if you just do one it just makes your market to get paid smaller you know to get paid for what you're doing doing that you love smaller so. It all comes down to being able to invest in a character emotionally and, and hit a scene real hard. And I think, uh, <laughs> I really do think this is a fantastic question because this is something that I wish I would have thought more of when I first started in Chicago. And in some ways, it's a good thing to kind of like be going through the programs here and like doing shows. And He's great with the business stuff. And, have, and having a great, you know, having a great time learning. But the same time like if this is something you want to turn into a career I think you need to start saying that and like making that a reality for yourself and I think Chicago at some of the Chicago theaters there's almost like a disservice done to the improvisers because it's not talked about and if it is it's talked about as like a gross thing or like uh, you know the like, business part of it getting the, the headshots networking all yeah, that stuff and like, and making like, money and just but also like in very practical terms of like Knowing how a show works, like knowing, like, look, you're not going to improvise in dramas, but on these, if I were in LA right now, like, if you're, if I was improvising in Chicago, single camera comedy, like, there's room. What is a single camera? What's a multicam? Like, uh, what showrunners like you to improvise? Which ones don't? Like, so then you can, like, 
the knowing the business side is so important. I, I really think a lot of I know I didn't. It was not even a reality to me until I got out to LA. And when you first get onto a set, like if if that is what you want to do, is if that is what you, you know take what you've done through performing and go on camera. That's a whole new world, and uh, like you need to start flexing those muscles too. So I wish. And while I was in Chicago, I wish I did so much more on camera stuff. And I did, I, I did like a commercial and that, and like a couple short videos. I just wish I was shooting something every week because why wouldn't you? Like, why wouldn't you flex that muscle to give you confidence? And when you're on a set for like a lot of half hours, now for dramas, no, but for half hours, being sitcoms, be, sick, yeah, being sitcoms, they want they want you to improvise if you can do it and. You're not going to do it confidently if it's your first time in front of a camera. Like you're going to be too scared and stick to you know what what the written page is. To me, you can gain gain so much stage confidence in Chicago and really like get what your point of view is and uh, figure out what your voice is. And to translate that into a business aspect, it's like then when you go into an audition, I know if I tag the end of the scene with this line that's not in the script because. I know how I come across as, like, uh, in the room. I know that that will work or that won't work depending on, you know, the moment. And it's such an important thing. Like, one way is to learn on your feet and just go and have some bad auditions. But I think you can do it by, like, really, like, I mean, put yourself on tape as much as possible and watch that tape and see how you're coming off. And I think it's just such... Such an important thing. Every job I've ever booked was because I improvised in the room. Me too. In the audition. Every single job. I never got a job because I read it was on the page exactly. Even if it's a line at the end. And it's and it should never be much more than that too, because it you know, you have to find out that fine line of if the writer's in the room. Mm-hmm. Like just knowing this, like I never knew this in Chicago. Like uh, when you go into an audition, like who is in the room? Is it is it just the casting director? Who are these three people there? Like my first few auditions and I like I wouldn't even look at those people because I was nervous and because I never learned in Chicago that oh this is just a business and people want you to do well that's why they're looking at what you. does it help you to know who's in the room because then you know oh the person who wrote this material is in the room and you should engage everyone you're in the room with how weird is it if you're sitting there and someone walks in and like doesn't look at you and then thinks that like oh you're going to be selected because you read the words best on camera no because they're not going to work with the person who they who is scared working they're going to work with the person who is engaged like yeah, this person may have had like a good read technically, but they didn't, you know, engage me and like, do I want to work with this person for the next week shooting with them? No, let's go with the guy who was really personable and also good, you know, who acknowledged that there's people there. And like, if you know the writer's there, you don't want to go. You can say to the writer like, "Hey, uh, you know, do you want me to open this up a little bit? Do you want me to stick to it?" Just stuff like that puts you in the road, separates you. So you're not stepping on the writer's toes. And yes, and like asking that question. Let's let's try it that. The way it's written first, and then we'll yeah, absolutely. And there's just certain things that, like, uh, I think to, to learn these things, I think are very, very good, and it gives you confidence in the room. And and it shouldn't be a weird thing. Like, I always, I always thought it was like a weird thing to walk into a room where like six people are looking at you, and then like it only gets worse. By the way, then like when you test for a network, there's twelve people, or like uh, uh, a, a studio, yeah. and then we test for a network. There's like thirty people, and you know, like. If you walk in and like look a little gun shy and you're gone, you're, you're gone. It's it's done. It's like you did all this. You went through these first four rounds of auditioning and now 
you're gone because like you have like, a deer in the headlines. Someone, yeah, like that's you know like. And and John's really really great at that. I mean, when I was first auditioning, like I was really um, this is like a, a thing, a family thing coming into play for it to to wet wet that beak. Um, I can, I was really aware that like I, I really didn't want anyone to think that. I deserved anything because my dad was in K9 PI. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but how, a, let's clarify, he was in 3K9. <laughs> but how that came across when I come into a room is like, in my mind, I was being very professional and like very humble and just doing the work. But that came across as really closed off and cold and not any fucking fun, you know? I wasn't sharing who I was. I was just, like, not being character, like, trying to, you know, uh, articulate a negative, you know? And I, uh, so that's one. And then my, my last thing is um, I think it's really hard for an early actor, I know it's hard for me now, to, like, feel like I'm doing something in a career that I feel is very predicated upon other people saying yes to me, you know? So I think what really helps me and I think would help other actors starting is doing things that they can control every day. So even if it's not like, yeah, of course I want to be on the reboot of the Larry Sanders and play, you know, young ripped horn, of course. <laughs> you know, but if they ever doing that? <laughs> they are. <laughs> but those are long-term goals. Short-term goals should be just getting better. And like, you, there are things you can do. You can take seminars. You can take classes. You can submit yourself to five projects a week on Actors Access and do them no matter what. You know, like I did some weird short in LA once. This guy Richard Real, who has been working for fucking ever. He's Charlie the Banker in Casino. Yeah, you, I mean the guy's great. He's, did one float of the cuckoo's nest on Broadway. I mean, he's, he's a character actor, but he's on this short, doing it for free, playing a dad, three lines. And I'm like, dude, and I'm like the star of this short. You know, it's so stupid. And I'm like, what are you doing here, man? Like, you don't need this. He's like, this is what I do. I was free. I'm an actor. I like to act. So I'm here. And he's, you know, like 68 or something and just doing the thing. And I was like, ah. Oh. You're such a cool dude. It's really important. This is such, I really do. I mean, I don't want to hit it over the head, but it's such an important question. It really is something that there should be no embarrassment of trying to find out or like being scared to ask, like trying to find out more about the business that you want to go into and how to like, you know, bridge that from like, how do I turn this thing that I really like doing into like, you know, setting up a life for myself. And I think that's something that like, something sustainable. Yeah. And like, because, no one's gonna do it for you. No one's gonna call you. No one's gonna. No one's trying to find you. You have to be very active. There's a unless you're the vine guy. Unless you're the vine guy. <laughs> there's, there's a really good Don Amici story. Don Amici's uh, he's Better an actor. He's on included training places. Cocoon. One Cocoon. Don Amici didn't act for like 30 years. He was like a movie star in like the 50s and a great stage star, and he didn't act forever. And uh, when they were making Trading Places, which is like one of my favorite movies of all time, they were making Trading Places, and uh, John Landis said, I, I want Don Amici in this role. And the casting director said, Don Amici's dead. Like, he doesn't alive anymore. And Landis like, I don't think that's true. So Landis looked in the phone book, and the fucking guy's listed in the phone book. Uh, he lives in Venice, which is now a cool neighborhood in, in LA, but back then was like bad. And 
You know, he, <laughs> they called him and they brought him in and they shot this movie and it revived his career. He what got. They called and what did he do? Well, well when he, they called it. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> That's how Landon said he answered. But after they shot and he was so great. And this, like, then set on a path where then this guy in his 80s got nominated for an Oscar twice and won one. And it revived his career. And Landis said to him, like, Don, you were, like, so good in this movie. Like, why? And before, so good before. Yeah, and so good before. Like, why haven't you been working? Like, what's going on? And he goes, well, John, nobody called. (laughs) (laughs) This guy was waiting by his fucking phone. (laughs) Landis called him. We got to wrap this up. You guys, this has been great. Before we end each episode with improv, there's one piece of advice you'd give somebody starting out in improv comedy today. Don't do coke. No. Uh, <laughs> do a lot of it. Yeah, no. no, I would. Uh, I would say, be as active as possible and put. Constantly be creating material, especially uh, uh, video content. There, it, you, you can film something whenever you want now, and even if you can't get on the team yet, you can be, you know, figuring out your voice and like shooting something. Like, pick up a camera. You can pick up an iPhone and just. Start finding what's fun to you, and uh, yeah, that'll like. Rob, I think that's perfect. And what I would say as a kind of other thing is like, be on time. Mm-hmm. Like, always be on time. So many improvisers, myself included, are like, the unprofessionalism starts right away because they're late to fucking everything. And like, you can't do that at the higher levels. It's the one thing that will get you fired. Right? Like, you can be locked in your trailer for some people you know doing weird shit but if you got there on time you won't get fired you know so <laughs> so be on, be on time would be like an achievable goal great Rob Belushi John Barinholtz Jimmy thank you great. so much great. And there you have it. Believe it or not, there's another episode of Improv Nerd. It's in the can. And I want to thank our guests, Rob Belushi and John Barinholtz, better known as Sheldon. And I, I love their honesty. I loved how they were giving each other shit in the, uh, in the interview. I love when Rob was talking about how he got in trouble in the liquor store when he was growing up and his, you know, how he's, uh, he was doing all, all those drugs and how John, you know, how he dealt with it. It was just it was a wonderful, wonderful inter- interview. I want to thank all the good people at the Playground Theater and also the Chicago Improv Festival, uh, especially Jonathan Pitts and Kevin Mullaney for making this happen. I really uh, love the Chicago Improv Festival. It's a great festival. If you ever get a chance to come in in Chicago, you got to check it out. Also, I want to thank my producer here in Chicago, Dan Schiffmacher. He's the one who makes me sound so slick and so professional. If it wasn't for Dan, you wouldn't be hearing my voice right now. Also, if you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and uh, my award-winning improv classes, The Art of Slow Comedy, and my books, and my improv nerd blog, all you need to do is go to jimmycorain.com and sign up and get on our newsletter. And each week, I will send you out an improv nerd blog that will make you a better improviser and a better person. Well, the better person is up to you. Also, follow us on social media. We're taking over social media. I don't know if you've read it in the trades, but we are taking over social media. Uh, all you need to do is go to our Facebook page, Improv Nerd, and like us because it really helps with my low self-esteem. And then follow us on Twitter, Improv underscore Nerd. And then don't forget our wonderful YouTube channel where we have clips from the recordings of the Improv Nerd. So you actually get to see 
you know, what they're doing. Uh, we're also part of a podcast collective, a very unique and innovative podcast collective called Feral Audio. So go to feralaudio.com and check out the other cool podcasts, people like Chelsea Peretti and Dan Harmon, Matt Dwyer, Steve Agee, Todd Berry. There's some really, really great podcasts there. Uh, I also want to thank our sponsors today. Uh, we've got two great sponsors, the District Improv Festival in Washington, D.C. All you need to do is go to districtimprov.org for more information. And then the uh, boss, the 2015 Boston Comedy Arts Festival. And go to bostoncomedyarts.com for more information. And, of course, I want to thank the most important person, and that is you, for listening. Because without you, I would just be recording this to my cat in my basement. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Yunt. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. <laughs> suicide Buddies. <laughs> That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. He's Like, I mean, if you yeah. lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> 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 That's like literally what happened to Batman. <laughs> he literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a <laughs> bat. I'm a, I'm I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a rich... I don't know what you want from me. And uh, my, and my a... girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a bat. I help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My. Uh, my... <laughs> <laughs>